Hello, I'm Matt White, and in this very special podcast, we're going to be celebrating 20 years of the Northern Restaurant and Bar Show. I'm meeting some of the movers and shakers from the food and drink scene in the North to discuss the last 20 years and indeed look forward to the next. We're here at Cultureplex in Manchester, which is an interesting space. There's a cinema here, there's a gym here, but more importantly to me, and I assume you, there's food and drink. We're in the middle of this vast kind of hall already. It's a busy lunchtime, people sitting down, eating and drinking. There's an open kitchen, the chefs are busy in a way. So come with me now as I go and talk to some of the movers and shakers, some of the big players from the food and drink scene in the north. I'm Tom Hetherington, I'm the chief exec of Northern Restaurant and Bar. Martin Wollstonecroft, chief executive of Ark Inspirations. Jocelyn Nee, founder and managing director of Seafood Pub Company. I'm Marco and I'm Maya and we're both from Bundabust. And I'm Adam Reed and I'm from Adam Reed at the French. Thank you to all of you for coming down today. I know you're all busy people, so it was wonderful that you could all take a bit of time out of your schedules. I think the best way to kick off this chat is probably to start talking about where you all were 20 years ago. Marco. How was that school 20 years ago? You're a young boy. You still got your school cap on. <laughs> <laughs> but can you yeah. remember being into food and drink 20 years ago? Um, yeah, we used to go dining out, so special occasions, so if it was my birthday or my mum's birthday, we'd, we'd go out in Bradford, West Yorkshire, so yeah, so there was Mumtaz restaurant, which was a fancy Indian Pakistani restaurant that's still there, or Mamma Mia's Italian place, and then um, Shibden Mill Inn. Shibden get the review recently, the Jay Rayner review. Or was it Marina? It was, Someone it was reviewed Marina. it recently, didn't they? It was Marina that reviewed Jay, it, and then they... Jay went there as well, Jay didn't went they? There as well. Yeah. Did Jay go as well? They're heading wow. out more and more. Looks really good. Yeah, I was going to go the other week on the on the back of it. My, what about you? Are you Leeds? Uh, Bradford, Bradford as well. Yeah. So um, yeah, 20 years ago, I was still at school. But as you were saying before about eating out, and I actually lived in a restaurant, very traditional, kind of the old school curry house yeah. mentality. It was a good restaurant. Yeah, Prashad yeah, 100%. Was a famous yeah. Restaurant. Mum and dad set up about 30 years ago. She just a deli that serviced the Indian and Pakistani community in the area. After 10 years or so, we were like, right, let's. Let's add a few seats, let's take over the laundrette next door and just slow expansion. Basically put outdoor seating inside, which is why Bundo's <laughs> still really uncomfortable. Um, it was very much me and my brother who were the front of house. So then I kind of stepped into the kitchen. Did you prefer that? Uh, I did, yeah. definitely. Yeah, yeah. I don't like talking to people. <laughs> You're in the wrong place today, yeah, mate, because yeah, yeah. this is what we're doing. No, no, no. It's just, um, yeah, it was definitely where, where I had a passion, you know, for cooking. Martin, what about you? Were you still at school 20 years ago? School of life, Martin. <laughs> school of life. 20 years ago, I was thinking about setting up my own business. Just signed, uh, signed a deal to up my first bar in, in R. Tough and stressful time for myself where I'd uh, remortgaged my house, borrowed some money from my mum and dad, my wife's mum and dad. You must have had a lot of belief then if you were putting all that into it. Yeah, it was a massive risk. There's a lot of challenge then about why you're doing it. And we're taking on some of the biggest pubs in the area at the time, the biggest brewers, their biggest taking sites. But I knew I had belief in myself, belief in designing a great place, assembling a great team, energising them and delivering a great food, drink experience for customers. It's all paid off? It has. Jocelyn, what about you? Where were you 20 years ago? I was still at school 20 years ago, but uh, food was very much part of my life. Uh, from a supplier fishing family, home was always full of great produce, yeah. whether it was seafood and free labour for my dad, debating <laughs> mussels and uh, opening scallops up, so... That must have made school dinners be even worse, knowing that you had all these great foods at yeah, home. Yeah, I even remember going to play at my friends after school and wondering what we were eating, because it was just not what I was used to. Yeah, what's this <laughs> yeah, muck? pretty much. <laughs> um, Tom, 20 years ago, mate. 20 years ago... Um, you weren't still at school. 
sadly not. No, those days were long gone. Um, I was involved in uh, setting up a website for the restaurant industry, a trade website for, for the restaurant and hospitality industry called therestaurantgame.com. Uh, it was going to revolutionise the industry. We were all going to be dot-com billionaires. And um, it tanked spectacularly, to be honest. Uh, we misjudged all sorts of, of things. But luckily, we were able to flip all the, the kind of talent that we had offline and produce a magazine. And that, that was Restaurant Magazine, which is, is still the kind of uh, one of the main titles for the industry to this day. We launched things like the 50 Best Restaurants in the World Awards, which is a, you know, a huge, huge global um, event now. So it's kind of interesting that at the same time that everyone else was rushing from offline to on, we were kind of flipping it around, beating a hasty retreat from online to off. But it all works out in the end. Adam, I'm going to flatter you now and say you were still at school? I, absolutely, yeah. I was just trying to decide what I wanted to do uh, as a career. Uh, which I already knew, wanted to be a chef. Didn't have a clue about restaurants or anything. My, my, my idea of eating out was at the local pub and have half a chicken, chips and salad every single time. Same thing every time? Every time, um, and it was humongous. And um, you still always seem to have chicken on your menu now. Absolutely, it's just simple ingredients, isn't it? Like, Justin was talking about really good quality ingredients that she was eating at home, you know, that's... I was brought up on good good cooking from my mum's side, um, but, but not really much else in terms of food culture. I just knew that I wanted to be a chef because I was watching Ready Steady Cook when I was coming home from Happy school days. every day and no. eating good food from my mum. So, and that was about it. So I knew absolutely nothing at the time of the Manchester or Northern food scene. So how did you get into it then? What was the first step from wanting to be a chef to training to be a chef? I was at school and the careers advisor said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to be a chef. He said, are you stupid? I was like, no, I don't think so. Uh, and he, was, he, he obviously pointed out the social aspect and all that kind of stuff. But other than that, I was like, well, I ain't got a clue. Really, it was my mum that, that sorted me out because I, we decided to go uh, and do a modern apprenticeship. Paul Heathcote, he just set up the Paul Heathcote School of Excellence, which was a, a modern apprenticeship scheme. Uh, but that was only one day a week. So then you had to have a full-time job as well. Um, and I ended up getting a job at Bridgewater Hall with Robert Kidsby at the time. Yeah, Robert Kidsby. Okay, so that's how you got into the industry. Marco, what about you? What how was your first leap into doing this for a living? Well, I was kind of in between jobs, really, and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with my, myself. I worked in music before uh, food and drink, and then I was a teaching assistant in between. I was really into beer, real ale, craft beer, so nine years ago, and... Um, yeah, decided to kind of make the leap of faith and open my own spot in Bradford, which was called The Sparrow. So a nice kind of 50-seater beer cafe. And what do you remember about that time, that first time when you were open? How were you feeling? Were you, were you confident? Did you no, suspect it was going to No, I was scared. I kept having like, nightmares. Like I was going to have the like, anxiety nightmares. Like I was going to go horribly wrong. Um, but, you know, it ticked over nicely, and that's how I got to meet Mayor, um, from him coming in the pub and then we opened Bundabus together, so it opened more opportunities and doors, I guess. Nice. Um, you said about anxiety dream. Is there a standard industry anxiety dream? So I work in radio, and everyone in radio dreams that the faders aren't working or they're not on air. Is there something that everyone panics about in food and drink? Mm. Fire. Just, uh, fire? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, fire. Kitchens and extraction, that's like... I suppose that is a big thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah just we had all. a fire on the opening night of the first pub. The, uh, the bin store had set a light to evacuate the building. At the same time, the people, night. yeah, the first night people were walking through the front door. Wow. It's good fun. 
Yeah, well, <laughs> sounds... To me, it's always been the, the thing of where you walk, because I've had it actually a couple of times, where you just walk through the door in the morning and there's just no one else there. <laughs> you know? Like Day of the Triffids. Yeah, like your whole team, you know, you, you know what you need to run this restaurant yeah. and you walk in the door and yeah, there's just no one there. My business partner, he always has a, an anxiety dream about it raining in the hall at NRB. <laughs> What, inside Literally clouds and just pouring with rain yeah driving everyone out that's a that's a regular thing for him andy clayfield bless him we know we're getting close to the show when that kicks in well let's hope that never happens yeah fingers crossed uh martin i'm going to describe you as the veteran around this table 20 years ago where were you what were you doing how did you get into the industry a bit like marco really. i just started working part-time at a local pub in headland the skyrack pub manager there when i was age 22 and i was whitbread's youngest manager at the age of 22 and uh, took that pub to be the first ever million pounds Whitbed's ever done so um, stumbled into it by accident but I'd also worked in I worked in a nightclub in Manchester when I was 16 uh, one called uh, Saturdays underneath uh, Britannia Hotel yeah. which then was quite a scary place to be honest then in the morning sometimes we used to go to uh, Salford Market at five o'clock in the morning and I worked on a fruit and veg stall so I've always loved serving customers and being in the industry and uh, just love of life, really, Matty. Yeah. Love of life. Love of life. Happy-go-lucky kind Making of Making people happy. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah, my yeah. job. Jocelyn, what made you get into the industry? I'd always wanted to feed people the, the produce that I'd grown up with. I didn't know exactly what format it would be in. I got a job as a restaurant host, minimum wage. Ah. Loved every minute of it. I was doing 90-hour weeks and being Three paid shillings. 18 grand. So wow. <laughs> That's good, yeah. that. I think it was on about four grand when I started <laughs> an apprentice yeah. or something. Yeah. 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 yeah, I was a bit older than 16. Yeah. I was. Yeah. Well, you've been uni and everything, haven't you? Yeah. Joss, yeah. was that Ithaca? It was indeed, yeah. Was so my, my parents, after five years at uni and getting a first, were obviously delighted to hear that I'd gone to somewhere that was clearly a money pit and, <laughs> and I was on minimum wage. But um, I, I loved every minute of it because the food was incredible. And as much as the, uh, the operation was bonkers, learning how to not do things, I think, is as good an education as you can get. You, you see so much of that in the hospitality industry, don't you? Where, like, with the stories are here and there, you just people fall into it, don't they? And you, you know, you've gone off to do something else, and you've got all these uh, not accolades, but like, you know, your, your degrees and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, your qualifications. Yeah, but if it's in you your just... heart and soul, yeah, it's you in your heart what? and soul, and there's nothing else that you want to do. You know what's really changed in the industry? Right. I think over the last 20 years is probably when I started off. It was all about um, retired builders and policemen and people like that, and there wasn't many. Uh, youngsters and i was like the youngest by a mile and everyone else is like you used to go to your area meetings with um the other like pub landlords in your area and they're all like i like no smash the knees all over here like 50 or 60 year old and they hated me they did and um, i think what's changed great now is uh, there's so many young people coming to the industry and they see it as a fantastic career whereas then it was like just somewhere to live above a pub really I think you, you, you bang on there because it's like we, when I first started, it, it was that thing of like people came into the industry. If you were coming in young, you were coming in with that stereotype of, you know, you're either too stupid to do anything else or it's just because you didn't want to be a builder because you don't like working outside. You know, it's it, 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 nowadays it's an actual industry that draws people in and people want to do it. How did you get their respect then? Well, not arguing and just getting on with it and just working hard. You know, you just if you were if you were the hardest working in there, then then people respected you because you basically if you become somebody that they can use to benefit them in terms of like hard work and stuff, then you, you you'll go very far very quick. I would have thought though, with your place being high end, so people coming into a high end restaurant for a job, be it chefing or waiting on. They're not doing it for a little part-time thing while they're at uni. Surely they're coming into it because that's what they love and that's what they want to do. Because there's a lot more expected of them. 
Yeah, well, it, it's a flow and balance. I think it's just the attitude. You know, you, you can have people who are partly engaged, so, you know, part-time and stuff like that, as long as they have the attitude that when they're there, they're doing, you know, they're putting the same in that everybody else puts in. We don't have people who just come in just to fill a few hours and, you know, they're not really interested. Our thing is we don't really look for people with masses of experience and stuff like that because we are so bespoke with what we offer and we're quite original in, in the food offering and, thing, and the way that we do the service and stuff. Um, we just want people, again, with the right attitude who walk in and, and just want to work. Right, how did that work in your mum and dad's restaurant? Because obviously the staff were family. Yeah, yeah. So were you reluctant? Was it like, oh, God, I've got to work in mum and dad's restaurant or was um, it something you were up for? No, well, for them, the path and journey was certainly not me or, me or my brother being in this industry. You know, they really... The stereotypical doctor, accountant, you know, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. they're the first generation to come to the UK. So it was, for them, it was right, we're going to graft so that you may, you know, use your head a bit more. Or, you know, that was their mentality. So me and my brother both went to uni. Um, I did business with marketing and business with finance. And it was just a case of, well, I wasn't very good at that at all. So <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I really kind of see something really special in kind of what they've developed. My brother was a bit older than me, so his step was to take Brashad and evolve it and take it forward and, you know, become more of a, a high-end restaurant experience. And for me, it was more about, well, the deli that I grew up in, that service, that community, and being very casual and informal, that's the bit I really missed. So it was kind of the perfect two areas for us to go towards. Um, and, and, and sort of being in Bradford, um, having an interest in beer, Marco's business, it kind of just it, it kind of just worked, you know. It made complete, perfect sense that we had both ends, both elements that were um, so specialist. It's definitely partly destiny. I think it was um, I think it was written that I should be in this industry, and I can't see myself doing anything else really. No, that's it now for life. What do you remember though, Martin, about the culture back then surrounding food and drink? My parents, they weren't too happy about me working behind the bar to start with because um, I got my degrees similar to yourselves and uh, they wanted me to go out and get this great graduate job and that was all right for a few months but then it was like when are you going to get a proper job and I thought well you know I love it and I think it has changed a lot people are seeing it as a lot more as a career now and whereas probably 20 30 years ago it wasn't seen as a career for people to leave university and go into as a career. Do you agree with that Marco? Do you think attitudes have changed towards People that want to wait on or want to work behind a bar? Yeah, definitely. I think st still um, people do work in bars to, you know, while they're at uni and they're figuring what they want to do, but people are seeing it as a bona fide career path now. There's a lot of progression, you know, GMs can get paid pretty well and there's, you know, if you're working for a, a big company like Martin's companies, then there's probably a lot of progression in ops roles and things like that. So th th there's definitely scope to you know progress and make a good career out of this game. I think a bit of that attitude lives there though around it being a serious career. I think as an industry we should be better at communicating all the different roles that it's not just being a chef or waiting on but you can be marketing or customer service within catering and hospitality. I think the biggest difference nowadays for me as for seeing it in the last 20 years coming out it was just an easy practical thing to get into but I didn't see it there was there was probably five years before I actually realized the potential of it. But I think that's that's the main thing now is seeing it as an industry in itself that has its own potentials to really and build a career. Carve respecting a career. people coming through. Yeah, yeah. The um, you know, for instance, our team 
no one does more than a 10 hour shift uh, maximum of uh, five days maximum of 48 hours when we Ten. all yeah well when we all first started off you know lucky to get past eight and a half you know, nowadays that's changed of, yeah. even in yeah, it was like eight short years afds you know yeah. and uh, that was it afd AFD's. and then uh, open and close. breakfast afd yeah. even more exciting yeah. so in terms of restricting people in terms of their hours and their well-being yeah yeah, that's changed. So here's a question. I mean, I know some of you are fathers. Um, would you encourage your children to go into the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I just want to give them um, the best platform to do it from. If you've got a, you live in that environment and your parents have a restaurant, something like that, it's, 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 a, it's a great platform if that's what you want to do yeah. to be able to get into it. My son, for example, like that's, I'd love for him to get into it. I'm not going to make him, but if I can build something that he can then take on, then that's, that's my perfect, you know, my perfect thing. When I see first-generation start-up businesses, I always think it's a crying shame when it just ends, do you know what I mean? It's like there's nobody that picks up that baton, nobody yeah. takes yeah. it forward with, with all of that, you know, all of the new level of knowledge. I think in terms of what's changed for me is when I look at our teams at Bundo, it's the interests of everybody that works at Bundo. It's amazing. Like, they genuinely, they'll eat at the French and they'll spend their money at every facet of our industry and they're well and truly into it so they'll drink the best beers the, the proper winos are into it all i i feel as though that that wasn't the case but it's Maybe so, early, it's so much early. more inclusive nowadays yeah. especially at like the high-end level there's no such thing as fine dining anymore because fine dining wasn't inclusive it was for a certain type of person yeah. with a certain ability to pay for what it is it was like a club wasn't it yeah. that you 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 went and had that experience because you were the kind of person that fitted into that environment. Whereas nowadays, it's just eating out. You know, you anyway, a top-end restaurant where you spend 300 quid on a meal down to something casual where you spend 30 quid. Like, it, it's just eating out. And that's, that's, for me, that's the biggest difference is that it's, it's, not, it's not seen as something unique anymore. It's just something that everybody does all the time. It's not. Even, even if you look at the dress codes and stuff, you know, it's completely and utterly just anyone and everyone goes everywhere and just need to save up enough to pay for that, mm. that type of food, which I think is, it's just a much bigger blend, which I think is a lot more interesting. Mm. Um, people eating at different price points throughout the week rather than... The, the audience as well is an important thing because we kind of talked about the, the industry, how the industry is changing, but ultimately we're all serving an audience and that, that audience has, has changed beyond all comprehension. We've got some restaurant guides here on the table from uh, the year 2000 and I think back to what the industry was like then, the late 90s going into 2000s, all these northern cities, post-industrial cities were starting to regenerate a bit and, and suddenly people were opening cool bars or people were opening nice restaurants in a way that just wasn't there when I was growing up in an uh, around Manchester and some of the terminology in these guides is brilliant because they have to put everything in inverted commas even things like al fresco or stuff because <laughs> yeah. the you know these are dangerous and scary new terms that, that no one's au fait with yeah. using yeah. so you go back and read them and it really throws into sharp relief quite how much more sophisticated and demanding and discerning the audience is now and and that's changed everything I see it in my kids as well when I was growing up we used to eat in a, an Italian in Glossop um, a Chinese place in a, in a shopping precinct in Hyde from a granddad's birthday. And if we went on holiday, we'd eat in a Greek taverna, and that was it. And now my kids argue about which is the best wood-fired pizza, or they have very strong opinions on bao. I mean, it's absolutely <laughs> ridiculous. 
you know, it is frankly ridiculous. But sad, show, Tom. I, sad. You know, well, they, you know, nature and nurture, they didn't stand a chance, really. They Getting were, back to that Chinese and high. Uh, Phoenix City. It was oh, a great wow. place. Wow. Oh, I used to love that. But it shows how far the industry has come. And I, I think that is the most interesting thing. It's the people, it's the diners that are driving the market, and it is unrecognisable from 20 years ago. So, OK, and then this will be a, a question for everyone, so you can all have a chance to think, but... Do you remember the first time you saw a restaurant or a bar or even a chef where you just thought, this is a game changer? Yeah. This is elevated. I do. From I do. the last 20 years? From the last 20 years. The one in the north of England that blew me away was Machinaire. Ah. And that, that was almost, I think, bang on 20 years ago. And a lot of people don't realise that the, the guy cooking there was Jason Atherton, who's now one of the most lauded... Uh, heavily Michelin-starred yeah. chefs in the entire world. He's got restaurants all over the place. And it, it was... Your show last year as he, well, He was the headliner at the NRB yeah. debate. I mean, it, 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 you look back at that, that business now, and it, it had this insane space-age design. Yeah. It was all kind of mint green on one floor and all orange on another floor. They had their own microbrewery, which yeah. you could see through into from the bar and, and see, see everything happening, all the process and all the rest of it. And 20 years ago, that was unusual. Yeah. They did wood-fired wood uh, wood sourdough pizza Mental. on the ground floor. Way Mental. ahead of their time. Upstairs, yeah. they had a not fine dining but a high end aspirational restaurant. Yeah. And you look at it all and you think, if someone opened that in Manchester now and you read the menu from 20 years ago, every dish reads like something you'd happily order tomorrow. It, yeah. it, it was unbelievable. And I think it's like a good album or anything else. If it stands up 20 years later and still seems fresh, then you know that they've nailed something quite special. And I think that, that was an unbelievable place. But places time. like that don't come along very often, do they? they? Do That's the thing. Marco, what about you? Moment, place, chef in the last 20 years? Well, one place that inspired Bundabus particularly was uh, a place in London called Polpo. Just chilled service, the vibe was amazing, the food was great, but you had waiters wearing T-shirts and had loads of chat and banter, and it was, you know, it, it, and, you know... Before then, it was like restaurants were pr pretty formal, and I think Russell Norman kind of made it more relaxed with you know amazing service, great music playlists as well. Which is important, isn't it? Yeah, the and vibe. That's important to you as well, Adam. You like your music playlist to be right, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to set the tone, hasn't it? Okay, Martin. Just in these guys talk about fine dining restaurants. I'm going to talk about a great rock and roll bar. Nice. That was probably the inspiration for many other amazing cocktail bars in the country. And that was back in the day when I was growing up, was, uh, was Mojo's, a little back street in Leeds and um, that no one else was around. And um, I think for them to have that inspiration to open there, not on a circuit away from everybody else and to be run by the guys who owned it, they're behind the bar, they drink with you, they dance with you, they party with you. And I think in terms of what we're all about, hospitality and giving people a, a fantastic uh, night out, I think they were probably the, uh, the icons, really, who, um, who, and trailblazers for the industry. Yeah, people yeah. like having a good time, don't they? And if that's what you're offering, yeah. people are going to come. Jocelyn, what about you? My moment of this is what I want it to be like was uh, Balthazar in New York. The, the raw bar and the oyster selection there was incredible, but more than that, the, the service that was delivered with it and the staff were so interactive, full of banter, loads of chat, but the moment you asked a question, bang, know absolutely everything yeah. about the product. So fun, informal, but you know, brilliant quality and just somewhere you, you would go more than once a week because you, you wanted to be there and you felt like you were at home in there. Adam, what about you, mate? A few years ago, um, what really made me realise where I want to go with it nowadays 
was when I ate the clove flip. What I see of the industry now is, is that it was almost stifled in the past. It was stifled by what people expected things should be like when you go out. Whereas what you see now is everybody with their own experiences realizing what they actually enjoy and then wanting to recreate that. So, so the industry for me now has realized that it's about people enjoying themselves. And, that, and, and, and like what we try and create the French with, with the high end is something that's fantastic without this, the stifled kind of, this is how it should be. But we're, we're in the middle of Manchester uh, in the north and we know where the bulk of our custom comes from. So I'm trying to create an environment where that market can just have a nice time so that they're in a good mood when they eat my food because that's the main thing if yeah. they're not in if they're not in a good place when they're getting the food your food you, you might as well not bother you know but but surely some food can heal surely it can make no. them feel better <laughs> no no if you're coming in a bad mood you're going home in a bad mood like if, you, if, you, if you're having a rubbish time all you're going to do is pick holes in the food no matter how good it is so you it's like anything you experience your expectation levels are you know lowered or heightened by the 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 environment you're in. Yeah, so the details. Yeah, create, and that's what everything, that's why everything's kind of like design-led now, and et cetera, et cetera, because it's all about creating this environment and setting where actually people, you know, the, the, the main product is then heightened. Get the mood right. Yeah, the experience of the main product is heightened by the customer because you've created everything else around it. It's really, really important nowadays. Uh, Maya, what do you, what do you remember? Um, I had a little think whilst everyone was chatting, but um, yeah, thank God I went last. <laughs> it's, um, I can't, I can't say there's a light bulb moment that no. I can pick out. I think it was, um, I think it was a trip in India when I was younger. My mum and dad used to send me every year to try and get the culture and not be fully British. <laughs> so you don't forget it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Roast dinner, what's that? Exactly, yeah, exactly. Out. And I remember when I was 12, 13, It was, a, it was my dad's friend that I used to go visit in Ahmedabad, and, and he took me to the street food market in Ahmedabad. And I remember as it was literally the modern, you know, interpretation of market halls with Mackie Mayer. And it was in this one venue and the food was just absolutely stunning. There was just like the smells, flavours, aromas. And it was just, it was sort of like, you know what I mean? This casual eating atmosphere is what it's all about. So I feel like that was probably a bit of a moment in terms of food and drink for me, going on the back of a scooter and just eating, eating bits and bobs. So, yeah. Bundabust is vegetarian yeah. um, there's been an undeniable rise of vegetarianism veganism do you think that's helped the restaurant industry I think it's I think it's just the way the, the way that we chat about vegetarian and vegan at Bundo is genuinely we don't advertise it we don't market it we don't really shout about it so the recipes and the food that we have they're not they've not been developed or created to be balanced they were always that balanced historically and it was never a thought of right where's that protein where's that where's the chew where's that you know it's just it's there because it was it's how it's how we ate um so i think as an industry it's just now created another option of food as opposed to for vegans and vegetarians i just think the majority what we what we always say is the majority of our customers are probably not vegan or vegetarian. Mm. Um, they're pulled along by a mate, yeah. and then they absolutely love it. So I think that's, I think it's just another avenue, yeah, another type choice, of food. Yeah, people want choice, don't they? And I think, although we're obviously heavily seafood, the areas we operate in, rural destination, if we were just seafood, 
then there's no way it would exist. Yeah. We, we've always had to give you know great steaks and, and meat and, and veg options too, but people want that choice and more even more now we're doing fish by the weight. So how we used to see on steaks with by the weight on the bone, okay. we're doing that with fish now. And you know when we started when we're putting main courses on at 40 quid, which is you know toppy for, for what we normally go to, and it sells out straight away because people have got the choice. You don't have to spend 40 quid on a turbot on the bone main course, but if you want to, you can. But you could also go for a smaller cut. But I think the choice being there. I think is that's what just because it. of how people's night out is dotted around. Yeah. You know they'll pick a few venues as opposed to one. I think, you, I think that's definitely true. Yeah, I've noticed you're, that. You're not. You're not angry. It's that culture thing again as well as like people eat out so much more now that yeah. you're not you're not if you if you are vegetarian or so you're not basically closing out ninety nine percent of the market anymore. You're just another option for them, like you yeah. say, and, and you will get that customer coming through the door one day in the week or one day in the month because they eat out so much. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like the the options are there, and for me, it's, it's there's a lot about labels I think nowadays and stuff. It's difficult when you're saying, well, you you're a vegetarian. You, I only want to eat a vegetarian. You know, it's it's that little bit of balance. And I like people who are who are open to well, they're vegetarian. I didn't even know it was vegetarian when I went the yeah, first time. Yeah, I love that about your clue. menu. It's yeah. just tasty. It's yeah, it's just nice food. It's all yeah. that's it's just great food, yeah. and that's it. We we didn't want to advertise that we were vegetarian because we thought it might put some people off. We had a lot of people in the early days coming in asking for chicken tikka masala and apparently <laughs> cobra and yeah, yeah, exactly. and that's yeah. not what we wanted it's to. It's that whole thing do. of um, sort of it's not that type of restaurant. You know, we're not going to say right. You know, it's super healthy and it's for your lifestyle and you know that's not what we're going to do. We're going to just say it's good and tasty. It's not preachy. Yeah. Um, you created an environment that does a good product. Exactly, like we were saying exactly. before, and people enjoy being there. It doesn't yeah. matter. But it's yeah. funny you say that because, like you say, when you started five or six years ago, it would have been that label of being a vegetarian restaurant would have been something that puts people off. Yeah, socks and but, sandals, hippie. Yeah, exactly. But five or six years down the line, that's a that's a flipping. PR strategy nowadays and, and an angle to go in at with your business to try and sell it more. Yeah. That's how quickly it's all changed. We should be shouting about it now, but we, we never knew that it was going to become this big or, you know, the trend was going to grow. We didn't really know that beer and vegetarian food was going to be as popular as it is, I guess. I remember speaking to the chef, uh, Simon Rimmer, probably 15 years ago. Yeah. And we were talking about vegetarian food and greens that he's got in Manchester. And he was saying that he hoped in 10 years time, people would go out for a vegetarian meal in the same way they would a curry. So yeah. gosh, should we go for a vegetarian tonight? And I just remember thinking that was mental. That's, yeah, yeah, yeah. people aren't gonna do that, but they are, makes sense. They? There's another thing that I, I've spotted that um, I think has really changed in Northern cities over the last five or 10 years ago. And I, I think Martin will probably have a perspective on this is that when I, was, when I was growing up, and probably when Martin was setting up his first bars, I always found that the, the Northern cities were still very weekend heavy. Saturday, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday. And that was always the kind of cliche that London, you know, you go out Tuesday, Wednesday, whatever, and it's rammed, and up north it would be ghost town, and then the weekend would be absolutely battered. And we've been doing a bit of uh, research and analysis on this with CGA, the big data company for the hospitality industry. And it's really interesting to see how almost every northern city, but particularly Manchester and Leeds, have really pushed out that midweek drinking and dining. As the cities have rounded out, as they've got city centre residents, more business people, as tourism has started to kick in, particularly Liverpool, Manchester, Leeds and York, that we're not two-day cities anymore. We're starting to become a little bit more seven-day and people are willing to come out after work. You know, there's 60,000 people living in the city centre of Manchester now and they'll all go out for a drink and meet. And I think it has changed the northern cities. Yeah.
there's there's been a shift. Probably the the slowly slip and slide of those corporate long Friday lunches and Fridays meeting after work for beers and you just don't see it as much as you used to do. And also as well is probably the biggest change I've seen in the last 20, 30 years is technology. Is going back to the good old Skyrack days, is uh, in the pub then 30 years ago, all the builders used to go in Friday lunchtime, Friday afternoon, and used to pay all electricians, plumbers and roofers ever in there. And it really was the the hub of the community. So it used to be the start of a great session. You spend all the wages on a Friday, and that's when people used to pay cash. So I think now with people, there's no purpose really for um, leads of businesses to meet other people, uh, subcontractors, and pay back with cash because it all goes into uh, I've got a big, the bank. I've got a big opinion on this because obviously, like, so I'm I'm restaurant side of quite pub focused and stuff. I think lifestyle concepts. Sorry, Adam. sorry, apologies. <laughs> um, so well, that shows how the industry's changed, doesn't it? But the uh, for me, it's you. You both right there. I think it's a shift in cultures. So. It used to be a drinking culture where it was so weekend focused. That's still that's still there now. I know a lot of my friends who I grew up with, they still live for the weekend because that's when the drinking go out. The culture's changed in that people don't just eat at the weekend anymore. They will eat during the week. So people will spend money on food during the week. They still focus uh, their the, the wet spend on the weekend. So that's why you still get this massive, massive... Um, uh, we were talking this morning weren't we about if, you, if you've got a business in Manchester you have to be able to maximize on a Saturday because that's yeah. where the majority of the trade will come this is big enough. yeah exactly um, you need to have the covers in the door which is obviously where we struggle a little bit because we, we we're a bit more focused on doing small covers and and, and and focusing on the individual quality of it but it's that I see people coming in now and they're happy to spend on my big menu which is like 99 pounds a head on just on the food on a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, because they're coming for that food experience. Yeah, they're not gonna come in in a, in a restaurant like the French used to be, and and I'm expecting them to spend a thousand pounds on a bottle of wine. Like, I have absolutely no expectation that. They'd probably come in and have a glass of champagne uh, or, a, or a cocktail, because we have our own little cocktail menu now. And then, you know, a bottle of water, they might have a glass throughout, because they probably drive it. But really, they are people that five years ago wouldn't or 10 years ago would not have stepped foot out the house midweek to come and eat whereas they're everyday people now you know average joe's like me and I, me and my mates I, I know when i go around the city if i pop into bundabust on a tuesday night or you're going to hawksmoor or you're going to schloss or you're going to rudy's they're rammed yeah. and i know that 20 years ago when i was living in manchester that was no, not no, the case. Yeah, exactly. there, was, there was very little happening in a midweek well, night. I think that's exactly because you, you made the point there about the way that the culture was in, you know, in the pub that yeah. it was all kind of like your, your, your tradesman kind of set yeah. up yeah. now. And, it, and the technology has changed things because you've got so many more people that ha live a different lifestyle, yeah. different culture. And, you know, as well, people, a lot of people now are waiting a lot longer to have families and children and waiting until they've finished the full education, coming through university and stuff. So it's just the culture has just completely changed for me in, the, in, in and around the northern cities where it is. Yeah, yeah. It is getting a little bit more similar to that cosmopolitan kind of like London The biggest lifestyle. change has been tech. So I used to say to you, your mates used to say, I'd see you in there at five o'clock, see you in six o'clock. So it was a place where people used to meet. But nowadays is that phone you where we're going tonight, what we're doing. Everyone's connected on the phones. They're seeing each other, they're doing it. They're gaming, pre-drinking, so they're not going out. People used to go out for their social experience. 
But now they can get the social experiences on their Xbox, they're connected with their mates and all play together. They're all in the social chats together. So in terms of they can have their social experience at home. I feel like I want to enhance our social experience as well now. Um, you're all asked to do a little bit of homework and bring in something from your last 20 years throughout your career, connected with food and drink. So it's just something that was kind of a highlight or a nice memory from the last 20 years ago. Uh, Michael, that looks quite heavy, so we'll come to you first. So this is Where to Drink Beer. Um, they've done a series of the, these books, um, Where Chef See and Where to Drink Coffee, but Bundabus Leeds and Manchester got in this book, and it's just a cool, cool guide where to drink good beer across the world, and we're named with some of the best bars in the world. So it's, it's a bit of a, yeah, it's, you know, I'm proud of it. So this is really cool. And I, and I think uh, beer in restaurants as well is something that we've always wanted to push, like in, increase the quality of beer available in restaurants where it's predominantly wine-focused. So there's a lot of good restaurants in here pushing beer as well. Well, you guys are certainly flying the flag for that in the north. Cheers. Um, Martin, what have you brought for us? I've brought something very special. What have you brought? Well, I've got a lot behind here, but this waltz to be recognised by, uh, by Mr Thom Hetherington there in, uh, what year was it? It's been two years ago. 2018 is like go. the most valuable, outstanding contribution to the northern bar and restaurant industry. And, and I couldn't make it, but what happened is, and the way why it's so battered is, I was away on a, a ski trip with some people you might know, is uh, Sat Baines, yeah. uh, Jason Atherton, and Claude Bossy. And uh, we'd had a couple of long lunches, big sesh. I bet and the are. idea was, was um, I was going to get filmed with uh, Sat and Claude and Jason presenting me with this. And we started doing a, a few takes, and we're all a bit sausage. They were smoking sausage. big cigars and all that kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, I'd do my best, and he kept hitting me over the head with it. <laughs> and then he says, There you go, Martin. And then, uh, oh, it's massively heavy. No, no, no. And then, anyway, they just kept smashing it on the floor. But in terms of beautiful awards, so two things. One, I think it's fantastic to get recognised as an outstanding Rightfully contribution so. to industry in the North so. by the NRB, and, uh, but also as well as just you can't beat that moment to get presented by Sat Claude and Jason yeah. smashed in a restaurant in Coolmire <laughs> who just kept hitting it and smashing it all over the place. So wow. that's my show and tell, my Lovely. homework. That sounds awesome. like the best awards oh, ever. Oh, brilliant, yeah. <laughs> I've never been uh, beat that! <laughs> Pressure, yeah. So Jocelyn, would you want me to get this for you? Okay, it's quite this, heavy. This is heavy. This is, you wouldn't want to be hit over the head with this. Yeah. That's, uh, Ooh, that's so, yeah, fancy. this is my Katie yes. uh, Pub and Bar Award from 2016, which wasn't expecting to win at all on the evening. So, um, so a Grey Stem review would have been my other thing that I'd have brought. We got a great oh, uh, Grey Stem review for the Ash, yeah. So, uh, definitely Fantastic. two highlights there. Wonderful. I mean, that but that looks like a proper, like an Oscar or something. Well, it is like. I'm not trying to take it away from that, <laughs> but that's not much thought's gone into she that. You wouldn't hit over the head with that. No, I wouldn't like to be hit over the head with that. I don't think no, you'd come I out very well. No, I think I would. Thank you very much. Uh, Tom, what about you for your uh, show and tell? Um, I've brought awards as well, but unlike the lauded individuals around the table, I haven't won these ones. But I have organised them. Ah, you're a giver. I'm a giver. Yeah, yeah. yeah, always the best way. So the first one there is one of the original, the first ever 
50 Best Restaurants in the World Awards, um, which we organised at Restaurant Magazine. There's a team of people who pulled it together. We did it in Hush in Mayfair. And we basically had to convince 50 of the world's greatest chefs and restaurateurs to fly around the world at their own expense to come and attend an awards that's never run, organised by a magazine they've probably not heard of. And uh, unbelievably, we got over 30 of them to attend that first year. Thomas Keller from the French Laundry. Uh, we had Fran Adria from El wow. We had uh, Neil Perry from Rockpool in Australia. So proper big names. OK. Let's move on to the next one then. So the second one, this is after I, I set uh, my own company up um, and, and we started running Northern Restaurant and Bar and we decided we needed an award. So these are the Northern Hospitality Awards that we set up. And uh, I was really proud of these. It was a fantastic thing. It was an invite-only uh, event. It was all operator-led. We had all of the big names there. We had One year we had Marcus Waring up and he said it was actually the best, the best awards that he'd attended and the best food he'd eaten at an awards. Nice. We had Ike Zimmer at the, at the Lowry, was doing all the cooking and then it moved across to the Hilton. We had David Gale, who were both phenomenal chefs when it comes to kind of uh, doing these huge events. And it was black tie and it was formal and it was table planned and all the rest of it. And I, I loved it. I was really, really proud of that time. But... I think going back to Martin's point about 2008 was a kind of sea change in, in, in every industry really and those sort of really big ticket formal events just they didn't seem right. It felt like the industry had moved on a little more. It's not that people didn't like getting awards, it's not that they didn't like the buzz or the recognition but in terms of the environment people wanted more informality, they wanted a chance to talk to their peers, talk to their heroes, you know they don't want to sit down for a big table plan black tie dinner yeah, necessarily yeah. all night. I think there's still a place for that, but it felt with NRB that we wanted something different. So the last award there is the NRB Top 50, which is what we do currently. And that's a, a power list of the 50 most important, significant, influential operators in the north of England. We organise that at NRB every year and we give out three special award winners. And of course, with Martin and his slightly dented trophy, we have one of those sat around our table today. Are trophies important, guys, do we think? Awards, accolades. The, the teams love it, don't they? Think we're, yeah. They're all on social media waiting to hear. And uh, for recruitment, I think it, it's really important yeah, as yeah. well. People want to work for the best. So what have you brought in for us, Adam? Have you brought in an award? Well, no, I haven't actually. I feel like they had one out here. So I brought this in, and this is actually it's very, very relevant to me personally because it's, it's not necessarily an award that I got for um, achieving anything, but I did the North West... Northwest Young Chef of the Year. Yeah. It's still running now, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. It is very much so. We have the, the winner at NRB every year. Oh, there you go. Oh, so yeah. um, I did atrociously. I didn't win it and I went out. I got through to like a cook-off but then went out. Um, but I was working at the Bridgewater Hall at the time and this is the Stalls Bar Cafe menu and they, they very kindly, they put my Northwest Young Chef kind of like menu on it's like a special menu all of the menu wow. like a three yeah, course yeah 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 so people could go in and order it and as like a three course meal you know as pre and post uh, dinner and stuff like that but really for me it was like an award because i think i was 17 go or maybe 18 at the time that's, that's amazing deal. yeah and it, that was probably the switch for me to say well actually this could be something a little bit more than just a job you know, and, and, and it opened my eyes to really what you, you can actually achieve. Amazing. Brilliant. Wow. Um, Maya, have you got anything in your back pocket? That you... um, I don't have anything to show, um, but there is a kind of a big moment that happened for us and our family, and that was in 2010. It was, uh, we were picked to go on a show, Gordon Ramsay's Best Restaurant. It was uh, an intense competition where they picked out the top five regional restaurants and then it was a series of challenges for each of those restaurants to compete. Prashad, which was 20 covers, and again, like I mentioned before, with the solid metal seating and 
um, we actually became runners-up second to Casamia, and it was just um, it was such an emotional journey. And I think for Bundo, Jay Rayner was um, I think it was a moment for us both where we were like, right, we've arrived. You know, we've we've actually been noticed being a being a basement in Piccadilly. So I think it was a it was, it was a big achievement for us. Well, some lovely moments, some lovely objects from all of you. Thank you for bringing them in. Um, before we go, just. We've been celebrating the fact that the uh, Northern Restaurant and Bar Show is turning 20. We've been looking back over 20 years and talking about our memories and inspiration. In a sentence, which makes it more difficult for all of you, I want to go round the table and just get your opinions on where we think the industry's going. So that could be in terms of food, that could be in terms of service or technology. I've How do one. we see things? You've got one, time. I've got one. Okay, yeah, I, I don't know whether I'll, I'll do it in a sentence, but it, it relates back to what we were talking about before with technology. I think something we all have to be aware of is, is kind of Uber Eats and dark kitchens, all these sorts of things that are happening with delivery. And it goes back to a point we were all making earlier, that if, if, it's, if food is just about convenience, then there's going to be a time when things like Uber or Delivery are going to win out and people want to sit at home in their pyjamas. So it actually becomes about experience. All of these restaurants, all of these bars, all of these pubs, they have to offer people an experience that's something better and different that they can't get just sat in front of the TV. And uh, I think it's convenience and experience, and I think the operators that are going to thrive are the ones who really focus on customer experience. But see, that, that scenario reminds me a little bit of when recorded music first started being released, and people were worried that no one would go into the music halls anymore to yeah, listen yeah, to the yeah. music, but actually... They it, feed off each it, other. Yeah, they can feed off each other. So I guess that'll play out, and we'll see. Uh, for you? I'd say... I'd say this how specific certain cuisines are getting like they're becoming really regionalized yeah. and i think we're going to see more and more of that so you know you talk just before you're saying your, your children like the bows you know it's so specific that it's no longer Chinese i'd like it to indian just or... not be indian food and that means that it's viewed as a tikka yeah. you know what i mean it's it's already it's happening with Chinese, isn't absolutely. it? People like Sashlan, yeah. so they like Cantonese exactly. or whatever. It's starting to yeah, get yeah, more yeah. granular. And, you know, Basque, right? It's just it's it's become so bigger that each cuisine. I think it's just the amount that we're eating from these different parts of the world. I think it's just going to keep growing, and I think that competition is actually a solid driver for everyone to just have some serious quality behind what they do. Amazing. Um, yeah, that's about it. I don't, um, I think. It's back to the, the thing that I focus on the most and, and what obviously makes a restaurant like mine um, what it is, is the produce. But I think that going forward, that's going to ingrain itself all the way through. And, and echoing kind of what Tom said there with the, the culture of um, convenience eating compared to the experience of going out to a restaurant, you're going to see that going forward, that people want good quality all the way through. Like with what you're doing with the pubs, you know, you, you've got to serve good stuff. And, and with everybody becoming far more aware of what's going on with the environment, I honestly think that there's, there's going to be more and more of a drive towards um, less processed and, and more high quality ingredients. Right, nice one. And uh, Jocelyn, what about you, the future? I think uh, going back to choice and experience, so choice not just the content of what's on the menu but um, the fish by the weight so you can spend as much or as little as you want. Uh, the ash, we're just about to do every wine by the glass so people can have exactly what they want when they're there. 
um, and on experience, more and more now with the rooms, people don't want to come stay for one night. They want us to tell them what to do when they're there. So they'll eat for us one night, then they want a recommendation for where to eat the second night okay. and something to go and do in the day. So it's the whole experience of what we're doing when they come to stay with us, which is through the week as well, not just at the weekends. It's important. Yep. Martin. Experiential. I think uh, people, there's a great trend at the moment where people are going to bars and restaurants where they can take the best photograph of themselves and I hope that stops and um, I'd like to see you know we're spending 30 40 grand on neons and fancy plants and things like that just so people can take a great photograph and pulling the tongue out and all that I'd like that to stop and I'd like to get back to people sitting around the table having a great crack no phones talking to each other getting on it and having a great meal and just letting the great laughter and uh, you know, get back to the great original social hospitality. And Marco, let's finish this with you, mate. What do you think the future holds? Uh, people thinking more about sustainability. So there's a great restaurant in London called Silo. So kind of cutting back on food waste and, and like Adam was saying, thinking about where the produce is coming from as well. So less miles and local produce and ingredients. Amazing. Well, listen, guys, thank you all very much for coming down here today. Lovely to talk to you all. Best of luck with everything you do in the future. We have been celebrating 20 years at the Northern Restaurant and Bar Show. And remember, you can be a part of it too by going to the 20th one. It's going to be at the Manchester Central on the 17th and the 18th of March. We'll see you there. <laughs>